We're going to talk today about words. We're going to talk about the power of words and how they affect our, our relationships uh, and some things that uh, are really important in regard to how to help us to be more positive in the way we talk. Uh, we're in the third week of a series called uh, We, Me, or Me, We, maybe I should say it backwards. Uh, our creative team came up with the idea that, you know, so often in life we're always, it's always about me. Of course, I don't know how you spell me, M-I-I, but I know where it comes from. Uh, but there's a cool game out called the Wii. Any of you got a Wii? I've got a Wii. And uh, it's really cool. I like it. It's, uh, it's a cool game. Uh, the cool thing about the game, the, the Wii game, is that it actually, I don't know if they thought about this when they named it or whatever, but it's the most uh, involved game as far as getting people together and actually playing together. Where a lot of games that you play online and stuff are games you play video games or one just you gets to screen or whatever, and you might be people out there somewhere else. Uh, this is the first time I've ever seen a game where people actually are involved actively uh, together and, and having fun together. And so maybe that's the part of the, the we part of the game. So uh, that's kind of cool. Uh, we, a couple of weeks ago, we began this series by talking about what Jesus had to say, first of all, about the very basis of relationships. In Mark 12, he says, the most important command is this, to listen, uh, to uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he said the second, and, and, and not only second, but Tied to that is love your neighbors yourself. He's saying this, that there's nothing more important than relationships. There's nothing more important than relationships in our, in our world. And so we talked about that and what that means to us a couple of weeks ago and how we can make uh, loving people and having relationships the highest priority in our lives. And then last week, Dan talked to us, Dan talked with you, about this whole thing of the standard of how we love one another. It's not the standard of how we feel. Because love is, while there's feelings attached to love, love is not a feeling. Love is a decision we make to love somebody uh, the way that Jesus and the way that God loves us. Uh, in, in John 13, it says, I give you a new command, love each other. Uh, you must love each other as I have loved you. So Jesus gives us that command. Throughout Scripture, Jesus gives us all kinds of principles that deal with our relationships. And today, in the third week of the six-week series we're in, we're going to talk about this whole thing of communication. Uh, one of the things that happens so often, though, is uh, in communication and the words we use, our mouth gets us in trouble sometimes. Is that true? No. Yeah. Let me come out and talk to you about it. Okay, I will. Don't, don't you know, okay. Mouth gets us in trouble. Any of you watch Amazing Race? Okay, I watch Amazing Race. Okay, I'll admit I'm an Amazing Race junkie. Uh, we DVR it, watch it. Uh, the other night came on the first... Uh, the first uh, series the, for this new series came on, and I felt so sorry for one of the contestants. Uh, this sweet little girl, she was the youngest person in the group. Uh, she was dating a guy. She was Miss Teen South Carolina a couple of years ago. And uh, all they did the whole time was, was just trash her because of something she said at the Miss Teen South Carolina pageant, and they kept showing clips of it uh, back over and over and over again. This one, she was like 17, 18 years old. She was at this pageant, and they asked her this question about geography. They asked her, why do you think Americans really uh, don't know much about geography? And, and she just was, you know, you ever been in a situation where your mind just goes blank? And you just, all of a sudden, you just start words coming out, and you're going like, where are they coming from? And that's what happened on national TV. She has all these, and so she says the dumbest things about geography. You know, well, the reason most Americans don't know anything about geography is because they don't have maps. You know, and, and stuff like that. I mean, she really, literally said that. And, and it became a, a YouTube sensation uh, in our world today. I mean, a YouTube sensation of saying something dumb. Now, luckily, I mean, most people don't videotape all the dumb things we say. 
so they can put it on YouTube because there'll be something there as well. You know, I, I was recently reading, um, or actually reading some stuff about um, some examples of some people that are public people, people that are politicians, some things that they said that they wish they could take back. Now, I'm not going to read all these, but just to give you a couple examples, uh, I've used one before because for some reason, presidential and vice presidential candidates always tend to make the best comments at the, at the dumbest times. And uh, a few years ago, when Dan Quayle was running as vice president, as a candidate, you remember that, Dan Quayle? Mr. Foot and Mouth, until it was perfected by Joe Biden. Uh, uh, I, you know, I'm just be you know, both sides of the table, okay. Uh, no political statement whatsoever. But Dan Quayle said something like this. He said, one time, he said, um, I recently toured Latin America. And the only regret I have is that I didn't study Latin harder in school so that I could converse with all those people. I don't know. I thought, oh, my gosh. And then Joe Biden, uh, you know, during the last presidential campaign when he was running as vice president, and they asked him something about the importance or, you know, why they thought that Barack Obama was such a great candidate, he made this statement. He said, you got the first mainstream African-American who is articulate and bright and clean and is a nice-looking guy. <laughs> the first. Ever. <laughs> Think about what that says. And then later on, he insulted another constituency when he said this. He says, you cannot go to a 7-Eleven or a Dunkin' Donuts unless you have a slight Indian accent. <laughs> I, I can just go on for hours. There's a whole website just, just for that, just for things that he said. But the thing is, is that, you know, because he's in a public and, and constantly everybody's writing down or videotaping everything he says, you know, the dumb things he says gets him in trouble. And luckily, like I said, we do not live in a world where we have everything we say uh, videotaped. Or we would have a whole website, uh, you know, for, for us, the Bill White Dumb Sayings website. And, and we would have all those things going on. Our mouse gets us in trouble. And communication is kind of difficult sometimes. Merriam-Webster on the online dictionary, says, uh, defines communication as a process by which information is exchanged between individuals through a common system of symbol signs or behavior. That's what Merriam-Webster says. But let me give you a real-life definition of how I see communication really taking place. It's a process by which information is confused by individuals through a conflicting system of emotions, behaviors, backgrounds, and desires. Uh, so often, I mean, when, when I deal with people and when you deal with people and when we, c communication is not always just this transformation or this exchange of information. It ha it, there's a lot of confusion in information. Matter of fact, folks, most of the time when I deal with counseling with people, it's, it's a communication issue. It's where people just do not communicate well and they say things that have so much emotions attached and so much baggage attached to it and it causes so much problems in our world. We live in a nation where 50% of wives say that their husbands don't communicate. By personal experience, I would say that's low. Really, you know. And 86% and of those who have been divorced say that the cause of their divorce, the main cause of divorce was deficient communication. 86% of people in surveys who've been divorced say the, the primary cause is deficient communication. 25% of young people indicate that they have never had one meaningful conversation with their father. 
These are people who were like 18, 19 years old. And their whole life, they've never had one meaningful communication, a time of conversation with their father. We need to understand that this whole thing of communication is something that God talks about, Jesus talks about consistently in Scripture. And Scripture talks about this in so many ways. For instance, in in James chapter 3, it says this about this whole thing of the tongue. It says, Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire. Wow, that's strong words about that. That little piece of flesh right there gets us in so much trouble so many times. He says it's, it's a world of evil among the parts of the body. And there was a guy one time who was, uh, went to his mentor. Uh, he had somebody who, who really he considered a mentor. And he went to him and says, listen, I just can't keep my mouth shut. And he says, I've got to change some things. I've got to do some things differently. Can you help me? And so the guy, his mentor said, um, what I can do, and he says this, what can I do to fix what's been done? And he says, and the mentor says to him, here's what I need you to do. Go get a, a pillow, a feather pillow, and bring it back to me. And so the guy goes and gets a feather pillow, and he brings it back to him. And his mentor grabs some scissors, and he cuts the top of it off, and there's this huge gust of wind uh, that comes over them. And as soon as it happens, he picks up, the mentor picks up the pillow, and, and, and he starts to shake it. And all the feathers go everywhere. And the the guy looks at him, this guy that's looking for answers, he says, okay, what's that all about? And the mentor says, okay, before I can help you fix your problem, you need to go and pick up every single one of those feathers and bring them back to me and put them back in this pillowcase, in this pillow cover. He said, it's like this, you know you can't do it. There's no way. It's impossible. And the mentor looks him right in the eye and he says, exactly, it's impossible. And it's also impossible for you to fix the damage that your words have done because they've gone so far. We all know, we all know the damage that our tongue can do, that words can do. We all know that when we, so often we wish that we could stuff some things back in and and say something else. And we've often said words like, well, I wish I hadn't said, I really didn't mean that. You ever said that? I really didn't mean that. Well, the Bible has something to say about that. In James 1.26, it says, If anyone considers himself religious, and we'll take into context as a Christian, a believer, and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. It says one of the measures of maturity in the Christian faith is that we learn to control our tongue. That we can destroy our witness, we can destroy, you know, that the relationship we have with God and, and the, the effect it has on our life and other people's lives if we do not keep control of what we say and how we say what we say. Now we're in this series talking about the relationship principles of Jesus. And as we talk about these relationship principles, and I've already shared with you the first couple of weeks, we've talked about some things that Jesus said about relationship. But this week I want to share with you this one passage out of Matthew chapter 12. And if you have your Bible this morning, you want to turn to that, uh, Matthew chapter 12, verses 34 through 37. If you don't, it's in your outline, and it's also going to be up on the screen. And we're going to talk about this passage a little bit this morning and the ramifications of what it says to us. 
Jesus said this in the, in the midst of a conversation. He says, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. It says, you know, when you say, I didn't mean that, you know what Jesus is saying? You're a liar. You exactly. Out of, out of what's already in your heart, you speak. It comes out. And we've got to be careful about heart management. And we've got to understand that we need to understand how to, to use our words in a way that are more constructive than destructive. He says this further on in the passage. He says, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. As God changes our heart, he changes the way not only do we do things in life, but also how we speak. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. And then the next slide, the next of the rest of that verse is the part that I don't like at all. I was having a conversation in the hall right before service about this verse. It says this, it says this, but I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless thing they do, right? No, no, no. For every careless word they have spoken. Man, think how long that conversation is going to be for all of us. Every careless word we have spoken, we will give account for. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Our words, Jesus is saying to us, are powerful. We cannot allow our words to be something that just flippantly comes out. We live in a world of words. I mean, we have words everywhere. We have, not, you know, we used to be when you just you you had to actually talk, be in somebody's presence to talk to them, or at the most, be on the phone. Now we live in a world where you can stay in contact with people with your words 24-7. They can know everything you're doing between your Facebook and your Twitter account and all the different things that go on with you. You can have constant conversations with people. And the rules still apply to those things too, just like they do to -to face-to-face communication. We need to be careful with our words. And I found that in our world... um, I actually read two books recently that they're not Christian books, but they're books dealing with this whole social phenomenon of how we have used, we have so much connectivity in our world and our words. And uh, I was actually reading an article the other day. I don't think I brought, no, I didn't bring it up here with me, but there's an article of the day about, you know, can you really have, is this, is having a Facebook friend the same as having a friend that is person to person? Well, I would say no. And he was talking about the value of that versus the value of others. But the thing is, is that we have all this connectivity and it has more to do with, it has a lot to do with words. And constantly we have these problem of, of, of using words in the wrong, in the wrong way. And now we have the opportunity to use our words in the wrong way even more often because our words are out there everywhere. You know, I mean, you know, before email, I, you know, when I said something, either you had to write it down to remember what I said. But now you don't have to. If you have an email, you have Facebook, you go back there and say, oh, you remember what they said? Yeah, you said exactly that right there. And you sit and overanalyze. And, you know, we sit there. I know people that, 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 that just go and just, they keep going. They find an email somebody sends to them, and they, they make copies, and they put it on a refrigerator and read it every day. I don't know if they really do that or not. But it's almost like they do that because it becomes something they can read. And it's so they keep asking, what do they mean by that word? And we have this whole kind of confused thing about, about the way we, 
the way we deal with people. And so we have to understand that Jesus is saying to us that what our hearts, what our hearts are like is what comes out of our mouths. So we, when we say, I didn't really mean that, or I wish, we, sometimes we do say, I wish I hadn't said that. And that's probably true. Because it's revealing to people something that we really don't want them to know about. Because we like image control. We want people to think that we are better than we are. All of us want to do that. And so we have to understand that words are so, so important. That's what Jesus is saying. He's basically saying this. Your words reveal the condition of your heart. Your words reveal the condition of your heart. So be careful about your heart. So that the words that come out come out of your mouth are words of life, not words that destroy. You know, the Bible also says in, in Philippians 2, Paul says this, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault, and a crooked and depraved generation. One of the problems we get into, and I found this to be so easy, is that we have these negative words that begin to come out of our, out of our mouth sometimes. It's really easy to complain, Right? It's kind of like this, from a negative heart overflows negative words, which generally become negative actions, resulting in a miserable life. Have any of you ever met a joyful complainer? I mean, really, have you met a joyful complainer? I mean, somebody, oh, yeah, they complain all the time, but they're joyful. No, it doesn't work that way. I have to, I have to constantly, constantly, I have to ask myself, am I a complainer? I want to apologize for something. I've been complaining a lot about the weather recently. And I've come to understand it's, not, it's none of your fault. It's all God's fault. Because he designed the world the way it is, and Illinois happens to be where it is, you know, and I happen to live here, and that's just the way it is. But it doesn't do any good to complain about it, right? I thought it was great. Right before, perfect illustration, right as the service started today, we discovered something it could have been something we complained about a lot, but we didn't, and especially Dan. Uh, we discovered that the pump on the baptistry wasn't cycling right since last night, which meant normally our, our water is like bath water up there. Those folks that were baptized today, you know, suffered for Jesus a little bit. It was cold. You know, let me tell you, they could complain. Dan discovered that before the service. He went out and stuck his foot in there just to see what it was like. He said, I can't believe how cold it is. But instead of going backstage and complaining about it, he's told him a story about backstage about the two people being baptized, a story about when he was a pastor for a year in Alaska, about baptizing somebody in a pond in May in Alaska. It wasn't warm, by the way, where he was in Wasilla. And so he, he, uh, he told that story. So he didn't complain. He could have complained about it. They all complained about it. They thought it was an adventure. Oh, boy, we get to, you know, we really <sighs> grit your teeth and be baptized. It's, it's easy in life to complain about stuff. And I find myself sometimes getting the habits of complaining about things. Let me give you a formula for messing up your life. If you don't want to, okay, write it down, Freddie. Okay. <laughs> Freddie, let me write that down. Okay. I've never seen such enthusiasm for a negative concept. (laughs) Formula for messing up your life. If you want to mess up your life really well, complain about everything every day. Complain about your job. Complain about the person that you work for, the people that you work with. 
Complain about everything, the conditions you're in. Complain, complain, complain. If you want to really mess up your life even further, you know, uh, complain about the weather, the economy, the price of gas, your physical features that once you were hot, now you're not. <laughs> right? I mean, as you grow older, you know, if you complain about, you know, your hair doesn't, you know, have a bad hair day, you get up, be thankful that you have hair. Amen. I hate you all. No. Uh, if you want to mess up your marriage, surefire way of doing it. Nitpick about everything. Complain. Find small things. Expand upon them. It'll guarantee to mess up your marriage. Guaranteed way to mess it up. Got those notes, Freddie? Okay. Okay. You know, it's funny. When you're dating someone, you can't say good, enough good things about the other person, right? I mean, I could have gone into a whole thing about lying and flattery, how they go together. But the issue is, is, that, is that so often in life we have this whole process where we just get into this process of complaining, 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 complaining. And once again, have you ever met a joyful complainer? No. I love the inspired word of God. Sometimes God just says things that I cannot believe he says. In Proverbs 21, 19, it says this. It is better to live alone in a desert than with a crabby, complaining wife. That's in Scripture. I did not make that one up. I just pulled that out for no reason, other than the fact I thought it was a great verse. And the guys go, Amen! No. But women, it can be turned around, you could go, Amen, too. But the issue is, is it's, it's saying this whole thing of our words are so powerful in our life. The article, there's an article in USA Today a few years ago. That said this, and this was, this was harsh, but, but I found it to be, I'm, I'm hoping it's not true. I'm hoping this is not true. But the article says this, if in your marriage, if one in ten, just one in ten of your statements are negative in tone, it just in one in ten of your statements are negative in tone in your marriage, in your relationship with your spouse, just one in ten, then you have a 90% chance of having a divorce eventually. It's going, whew. We're in trouble because it's so easy to fall into the trap of complaining and be negative about things. So the question is, if if you're constantly complaining, ask yourself, what is in my heart? What is in my heart? And I don't want to spend the last 10 minutes today talking, uh, talking negative, so I want to talk something about positive, how to, how to change this around. We need to have a different perspective. We need to see things from God's perspective in a real sense. That's what he says to us. In regard to communication, we need to realize the power of our words, number one. Number two, we need to quit complaining. And number three, we need to change our perspective. Uh, for instance, uh, so often in Scripture, there was, all, there was instances where people uh, in the same scenario saw things in a different way. For instance, over in the Old Testament, Numbers... In the book of Numbers, uh, chapter 11, the Israelites are in bondage. They have been in bondage. Now they've been, they've been released, and they're on their way to freedom. And they're going through the desert, and, and God gives them this manna, this food from heaven. And they're eating it, and they're eating it, and they're eating They get free food. Free food. And what do they do after a period of time? Nah, 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 nah. They complain. 
And then what do they do? They say the most dumb, they say the dumbest thing. A bunch of them say something like, well, let's, let's go back to, to Egypt. Because there we had, you know, fruits and vegetables. And Moses looks at him and he says, guys, did you forget one thing? Back in Egypt, you were slaves. You know, he had a different perspective on it. He, he saw this even though the manna was probably, you know, if you eat the same thing, if you're not a person who likes the same thing every day, manna became probably kind of monotonous. But the issue was they had free food. God had delivered them from bondage. And in the midst of that, they complained because they didn't keep their eyes on the bigger picture of what was going on in their life. Over in the New Testament, in Matthew 26, Jesus uh, uh, is at this, uh, this house, a guy named Simon. And as he's there, this woman comes in and she pours this uh, jar of expensive perfume and she kind of anoints Jesus and she's doing it as an act of worship. And in the midst of that, some of Jesus' disciples come to him and he, they complain and they say, Whoa, she's just wasting, that's a year's worth of salary right there in that bottle. All they could think about was what it was worth. And then Jesus looks at them and says, Hey guys, what she's doing is something beautiful. She's taking something that's really precious to her and she's giving it to me and she's doing it as an act of worship. Same scenario, different perspective. A little further over in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is at the home of Mary and Martha. And as Jesus is at the home of Mary and Martha, what happens is they, you know, they're there and Martha is just so overwrought by all the stuff that's going on in her life and all the stuff that's there. And she's so frazzled running around trying to make sure everything is just right. You know, the, the linens are in the right place. The, you know, the knives. I always have to ask my wife every time we have people over, you know, which side does the fork and the spoon go on? You know, how does that work? You'd think after all these years, 55 years of life, I'd figured that out. I still hadn't figured it out. You know why? Because it didn't really matter to me as long as they're on the table. <laughs> but the issue is, is that, you know, Martha was all distracted, it says, by all the details of the day. And so what, and in the midst of this, and then Mary, here's, the, here's her sister, and Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, the Son of God, is at your house. And all Martha can think about is what the meal's going to be like. Two different perspectives, same scenario. You know, Martha didn't see the big picture. She missed the whole point of what's going on. Basically, the challenge for us is, is if we're going to do some heart management, which means that we'll do our word management as well, we need, to we need to be challenged to look at things from a different perspective, from God's perspective. So let me give you three quick things, three quick things this morning, positive promises that will help you to change your perspective. Three quick promises. Number one, and I've said this a couple of weeks ago, but I'll say it again. Uh, if you want to keep on, not be negative, don't hang out with negative people. <laughs> and I want to tell you, it's become easier to hang out with negative people. You know why? Now, I'm not an anti-technology person. Please hear me. But, you know, let me tell you, I, it's, it's amazing now. You can get online and you can... Go to certain websites or certain... You can find there's people... There's some people out there, you know, that just love to complain about everything. And you give them the whole deal of, of complaining about stuff. And there's certain websites that complain about everything. I mean, every church in the world has got... I'm sure there's an anti-Great Oaks website somewhere. If there's not, there needs to be one. You know? Because there's something out there. People just love to complain. And you can just join in right with them. Or, or on your on, you know, a Facebook or, or whatever. I've seen people, all they do is complain about their life. Why are you hanging out there? 
Don't hang out with negative people in person or on Facebook. You know, sometimes in life I find myself occasionally, uh, during our life we've, we've, you know, mentored or or, or, uh, nurtured relationships with people. And if if they get to the place where, you know, go over and all I want to do is start complaining, 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 you know what I usually do? I I cut that relationship off pretty quickly. Because I don't want to hang out with, so don't hang out with people that are just negative all the time. That'll help you tremendously. Number two. Not only do you, if you want to have more positive words and have a more positive heart, think about speaking words of life. And what that means, in Proverbs 18, it says this. uh, The tongue has the power of life and death. And once again, I mean, the tongue, the Bible says the tongue is a powerful thing. Has the power of life and death. One of the things that I have, to, I have to guard myself so often is when I'm tired and fatigued and don't feel well or just going through a stressful time, and I'm sure you don't do this, but I've got to really be careful about the whole issue of the words I say to my wife and my kids. Sometimes I just need to shut up. I know some of you don't like to use that word, but I'll, I'll use it. You just need to be quiet. Because the thing is, is that I need to be encouraging. Because I, let me tell you, growing up, I know this, and, and, and it wasn't negative that much, but I know the power of a negative, you know, that statement or that article from USA Today, one in ten negative statements has negative in tone. If that, that has a huge, a huge impact on our relationships. And we need to be careful about the words we say. We need to say more positive words, much more positive words the negative words. And it's not sometimes you can, you know, it's, it's the Bible says clearly speak the truth, but it says speak it in love. And the way we speak our words and when we speak them in love, you can speak the truth and speak the truth in a wrong way and destroy someone. You know that. But we learned, need to learn to speak the truth in love and we need to speak the words of life. If you can't say, you know, I've, I've shared this before. Uh, growing up, basically, uh, my mom, my grandma always said this phrase. I, I've said it in my family many times. I wish I'd practiced it all the time. Um, if you can't say anything good, don't say anything at all. I mean, I'll tell you what, let me challenge you to do something. Here's your, here's your test try to go through a whole day without saying one negative thing. I tried that one time. I didn't speak a whole lot that day. (laughs) You got to be careful. You got to be careful with your words. I will speak words of life. And finally, one of the ways that we can, I think one of the most powerful ways that we can have a more more joyful heart, which means our words will be more more, um, what God would want them to be, is I want to be thankful for what I have. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians, give thanks in all circumstances. It doesn't mean you go on, you know, you ask for bad things to happen. But in the midst of that, you know, instead of complaining about the cold water, hey, we still have water. You know, we're still having baptism this morning. A little cold, but it worked. You know, something doesn't work, you know, you know whatever. You, you, you deal with it. I mean, if you're having a bad hair day, I said, you know, thank God that you have some. When you're whining about gas prices, let me tell you something. If you're whining about gas prices, if you have a car, be thankful because you're in the top 3% of wealthiest people in the world. If you own a car.
in all the world. That puts stuff in perspective, doesn't it? You know, people in Haiti right now, in other parts of the world, not even in Haiti, you don't have to go through a natural disaster, but people in all kinds of parts of the world are hoping many times just to have something to eat and a roof over their heads. If you have any of those things going on, I mean, I can complain about the weather in Illinois, but let me tell you something. My wife nailed me one time when she looked at me and she said, you know, I was complaining about ministry. I'm going like, I wish I had a normal job. You know, where I could go home at night, nobody called me about all their problems. Nobody, none of you ever call me about stuff good that's happening in your life. <laughs> Pastor, I want to tell you about, you know, the wonderful thing, the conversation my wife and I just had. It's just so encouraging. I never hear that. And I was complaining, complaining, complaining. And this was since I've been here, okay? This was not back in the, in the promised land of Virginia. No, this, which, which really wasn't because I shared with you before. It was a struggling ministry there in a totally different type of church. But my wife looked at me and said, oh, honey, you know, you know you, you, that is true. That ministry is different. You don't get paid well. You, you work, you know, kind of weird hours. Uh, you really don't have a specific, kind of you have a day off. But even when you do, people will call you and so you, stop, you just say, I'm sorry, I don't care. You know, well, I'm sorry if you're dying or going through a marital crisis and, and, you know, when you need something, usually I will show up unless I'm sick or something or I'll send somebody else to make sure they're there as well. But the issue is, is that's the kind of deal. And so, but at the same time, she said, you know, look, we've got healthy kids. I mean, it, you know, any day of the week I can find somebody around here in, in this community that has somebody, a kid that's going through all kind of major issues. I have healthy kids. Both of my kids know Jesus Christ. I'm in a church where I have uh, great leadership, um, a good staff, great staff that kind of, you know, is there. And, and, you know, sometimes they drive me crazy, but I drive them crazy too. It's mutual. But the issue is, is that, you know, we have those things. And, and the coolest thing about my job is that while most people work ultimately for money, and that's what the end result is, the end result of my job is, is that I could make an impact on people's lives for eternity. It's more important than any job in the world, I believe. I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm just saying making a difference in people's lives for eternity, to me, is, there's nothing more important. And so my wife says, okay, you can complain if you want to. And she like, walks out of the room. <laughs> well, I was nailed. Be thankful for what you have. You see, that your words reflect the attitude of your heart. That's what Jesus says. So you need to guard your heart. You need to not hang out with negative people. You need to speak words of life. You need to be thankful for what you have and focus your attention upon that. Have God's perspective on things. And if words, if you, if words are words of complaining, then let God do a work on your heart and your words will change and your actions will change when your heart changes. When you're tempted to speak words that do not honor God, that are complaining, that are negative, all I can say this is, is this. Stop it. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.